I'm Steve, and joining me this week, Adam Myros. Uh, hello, Steve. Hey, man. Did you did you enjoy this week? One of your favorites. Come on. We're enticing you back uh, with uh, some, some quality cinema. Did I go somewhere? No. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is, this is good. I mean, it, it, one of them is, is good. The other one is... <laughs> Is a fascinating look at the, it's, it's like an origin story of sorts. I, I was saying we were enticing you back from the edge of a mental breakdown after, you know, what we've put you through recently, but, uh, the fucking Giver, it's better than the Giver. I'll grant you that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think it's safe to say that David Cronenberg makes better movies than <laughs> the Giver guy guys, the Giver Givers. I seen uh, that drive. Uh, uh, it up. Well, yeah. Weigh it it's, up. <laughs> also joining us before he departs for the motherland jack easton's here it's good to be here steve and uh yeah it's, it's great to just just you know get down talk real cinema real gross disgusting fucked up shit as god intended mm -hmm. it's good i think one of the reasons i like cronenberg is because he's disgusting but also this is like highbrow art cinema so like it's it's the kind of disgusting things that makes me look sophisticated which that's I need it. That that's, the that's the you secret rush. You kind of wonder how Cronenberg like ever happened, or how he continues to happen. I, I believe like, it was Canadian government funding was how that happened. It's just I feel like as as a current film student, if I if I submitted like a, a student film that was Crimes of the Future, nineteen seventy, then I I feel like I would never be able to make a a funded film ever again, probably. No, I mean, I guess a different world back then, but uh, shit, yeah. I, I, I can't say in some ways, 1970 Crimes of the Future, it really, it, it fits the mold of a student film perfectly, but in other ways, like you said, I'm like, damn, this would probably get you kicked out of school for more reasons yeah, than one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's, I think it's an interesting example of how you kind of like Cronenberg is clearly from Crimes of the Future 1970. Uh, his student film is it's a very dry kind of academic work. It's a very peculiar kind of thing. It's always was shot silent and then it just has a voiceover. Everything is just a, a kind of a voiceover recorded later on, uh, kind of laying out all the the details and ideas and it's a hugely detailed and far-ranging kind of depiction of a society and collapse all the women are gone so far as we can tell nothing is quite directly stated but we can infer things and it's kind of like it's a really interesting movie but it's also very very dry and kind of not in particularly engaging cinematically uh, so i think it was really great that cronenberg was able to then just get canadian tax like government funding and kind of be forged, you know, forced to take his academic ideas and then slam it into sleazy commercial horror. And mm -hmm. like uh, his, you know, Shivers is I think, a tremendous film and really great and great to watch. And but, but it's kind of like he had to he had to learn how to make movies that were a little bit more approachable first, you know, and Shivers and Rabbit have these very clear um commercial through lines that then allowed him to you know build up the momentum and the name brand that he could make videodrome which is like 
pretty weird. I mean, honestly, it's kind of commercial because it worked. But, you know, if you were describing that to people, they'd be like, eh, I'm not so sure about that one. And then obviously, you know, going down like Dead Ringers, like that's just not a movie someone could easily get made, generally. Uh, you, you need a little bit of, uh, you know, credits stocked up to get, to get producers on board the fucked up twin pregnancy movie. So, yeah, it's all worked out really well. And it is a shame that it seems like, yeah, that avenue is mostly gone now, and you pretty much just have to make nice with Disney if you want money to make a big movie. Yeah, except for Cronenberg. I, I mean, again, I, I guess he's, he's back to doing this sort of shit. It's always weird when he just kind of pops up, like, every maybe 15 years now with a body horror, th horror thing after he's kind of like, oh, I'm going to make a bunch of quote-unquote normal films, and then... Uh, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll briefly talk about Existence, mostly because it's also <laughs> was initially titled Crimes of the Future, apparently something that is, uh, Cronenberg is very fixated on, but, uh, that fits a, a similar mold to the new Crimes of the Future in that it's this sort of return to what people expect of David Cronenberg and, uh, it, it, it kind of feels jarring both times to me a little bit. Not, not, it's not a criticism per se, but it, it is, it is kind of weird when these sorts of goopy Cronenberg movies just sort of pop out every 15 years. You're like, what the hell? Where'd this come from? And it doesn't belong in today's landscape at all. And God bless it for that. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Cronenberg's ever belonged in any film landscape. He's kind of just been <laughs> his own thing. Well, I don't know. He was always... It, there was a place for him in the 80s where he was lumped in with people he really didn't fit in with, I suppose. Well, listen, listen, I mean, I, the only thing I can think of is there, there's an interview with John Carpenter somewhere. I don't even, I can't even remember where it's from, but I just remember this little piece of it. But he would talk about how, like, in the 80s, he would go to these parties and David Cronenberg would be there and he's like, He's like, yeah, I was into like horror and, and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then he was like talking about how he's into video games now and all this other stuff. He's like, yeah, David would just sit around with a bunch of guys and talk about philosophy shit that no one cared about. <laughs> it's like even then <laughs> among his like horror contemporaries, they were just like, yeah, we like David. But also it's like, come on, you fucking nerd. <laughs> it's a valuable position. He's he's the. Uh... He's like the thinking man street trash. That's it's always been the, the David Cronenberg promise. Oh, it, he's, it what, is, he's what we all want to be. Like, what is sure. the essence of optimism vaccine? And I believe it's that we try to be the thinking man street trash. That's or, it. That's always been the goal. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why David Cronenberg is maybe my favorite director. I mean, he's he, he's living the dream. He's, he's amazing. It's it's interesting. I mean, because uh, Existence is curious, came what, 99, I think. And it's kind of like was the end of Cronenberg's body horror era, in, in a sense, or felt like it. I mean, he moved on, I think Spider was the next movie, which was really a psychological film, and it kind of marked a move towards psychology. Uh, Spider, History of Violence, and various other films like that, into a dangerous method, which was explicitly about psychological methodology. Uh, you know, and Jung and, and Freud and their creepy dalliances with their patients and stuff. Um... So it's yeah, it's kind of interesting. He kind of he 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 kind of moved past the body, and now with his latest film, he's kind of stuck back in. I mean, and what's really interesting about this new Crimes of the Future is they, like he's he's been very open about this. This is a twenty-year-old script. He didn't really upgrade it or anything. He just pulled out a twenty-year-old script. He he's been struggling. He says to find funding, which is insane. But another uh, 
I guess, kind of view of the film landscape as is. Like, we're someone with the kind of cash of, of David Cronenberg struggles to get funding to make a film is, is pretty damning. But he finally managed to work this out. On the Proviso, he had to film in Greece. That was the real thing. It was like Greek money came in and it was like, you just have to film it in Greece, which actually turned out to be a pretty brilliant stroke in the movie. But, you know, it's a 20-year-old script. It feels utterly contemporary and I, I i don't know if that's because david cronenberg is brilliant or because we're really fucked as a society and we've been going nowhere i don't yeah yeah that is kind of interesting well a greek money isn't isn't greeks economy like completely ruinous to the point where there is no such thing as greek money uh, the, but uh, that's what that's why they're in greece though it was some there's some kind of tax credit or something in there so that was that was because you originally wanted to shoot this in toronto which would have been very different yeah, he's got oh, that David island of Cronenberg death. Film in Toronto, shocking. He's got that island of death money, baby. That's that's what it's yeah. all about. <laughs> Heck yeah, yeah. I it it is wild to me too. Like you said, he he struggled to get funding for this, and I I do like that it was filmed in Greece because I I looked into it and I thought, oh well, he had to get funding and then he had to film there and all this. But now it's just like you see it and you're like, where are we? Am I in like Eastern Europe? Why are the signs like this? What's wrong? But it's good because this is like real late master shit, right? In the sense that one, you can't get funding for your movies. So, you know, if you're Abel Pereira or if you're, you know, a Schrader or a Cronenberg, you're just kind of fucked and you have to scrape for, for cash. Uh, but, Hell, even Michael Mann. <laughs> yeah, even Michael Mann. Yeah. And the other the other side of that is all these guys are kind of, they're doing their own shit, but they're so far past the point of establishing like the, the context or the why or, or any of that bullshit. Like, I don't need to know about what, you know, where we are in the future or what society is or all these things that people obsess over that, oh, I, I need, I need you to do world building for me. No, 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 no. You're here. This is what it is. There's, there's no physical pain anymore. And people are, are embracing evolution as art, but also fighting against it as like a, a part of actual humanity. And it's fucked up. And you just accept that and you move forward. But this is only this movie can only be made by someone like Cronenberg, who not only has his history and his deep understanding of how to make movies like this, but also he's someone who just does not give a fuck. Like this is a real 80 year old man movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it opens with the pretty much the opening shot is like a young boy on a beach and in the background there's just like a tilted half capsized like ocean liner or oil tanker. Uh, and that's pretty much it. It's like it's just an immediate instant opening shot. that's like as uh, things aren't going great. There's some, some stuff's wrong. Yeah. Like, if you just and leave that out there. you need. And that's it. And that's it's that's insane. It, yeah. It's insane <laughs> to me that, that so many directors obsess over this. And I, I think it's a big part of just like general like young film critic culture too, uh, fucking YouTube dweebs and shit like that. Uh, you know, fo follow my, my Twitter list film shitter, the, all these guys where they're Don't like, do oh. it. It will just, it'll destroy your Twitter feed. I, oh God. <laughs> I think Twitter stopped doing that. They stopped like taking your lists and just shoving it into your main feed, which is good. Although now you can <laughs> super follow people. So, you know, if you really want to fucking super follow David Ehrlich, you fucking can, but I don't, I don't know why you'd want to do that. Uh, any, anyways, I, I don't even know what I was talking about, but the point is, is you're right. Like we get everything we need to know in the opening 30 seconds without anyone saying anything. That's it. That's all we need to know. And then, right, and I mean, 
you know, that's that's it. And yeah, and and it, and it pretty much just runs. Like, I think the move to Greece is fascinating. Um, I mean, metatextually, it's just really interesting because Greece is obviously kind of like the cradle of Western civilization. So you know, there's it's just an interesting thing to make a movie about maybe the end of civilization or civilization on the cusp of some new transformation for better or worse. And it's in Greece where, you know, we point to ancient Greece is like where we got all of our ideas for stuff. They just, they, they, they were figuring out all that stuff. For some reason, Greece was just really obsessed with a lot of stuff. I don't know what the other countries were doing at this time. It's probably historians who monitor this, but I don't know. I just think they all had fun names. And uh, they just hung around and they just shouted at each other all day. And that was ancient Greece. Just like people just running around having arguments with Socrates and Socrates <laughs> winning. That, that well, was it. You know, the other good thing about shooting in Greece is this movie only has about four locations. Uh, so at least one of them gets to be a cool castle. So right. that's nice. You got to have that. And then uh, a dark and ominous street corner where, uh, you know, Tufts and ne'er do wells just cut women it, it, sexually with with knives. It's cool. I gotta say, it does. It has like a kind of a like, you know, I hadn't really thought about this until I'm like thinking back on the movie and the location. Like, so Greece is like sunny and nice, but then there's a lot of indoor low light, seedy kind of elements within it. Honestly, it's got a real like high production porn sheen over the whole movie. It's like it's like one of those like porn productions where they like flew out to another country and they're like, we're going to make something really classy, real classy. People are going to love it. And it's just sort of like looks kind of sterile and weird. Um, and it, but for Cronenberg, sterile and weird is kind of like a major thing he's been perfecting across multiple cameramen. I don't remember who shot this one, but like Peter Sajitsky looking at like Existence in 99, which is like the most incredibly 90s looking film, but still all those like cold, cold blues and like kind of desaturated color temp. Like it's really like a really specific tone and temperature he brought to Cronenberg's movies through that era. So this is kind of funny. I feel like Cronenberg is again, he's like on the like doing like the porno thing, but like the thinking man's version. And like this and Cronenberg's the future. It's like weird lesbian dalliance. And we got like, New Liam Liam Sedo in in the weird fuck bed thing, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. There's there's all kinds of like sexual content, but uh, you'd have to be a real fucking weirdo to to uh, to to pull one out in this one. Frankly, uh, <laughs> someone's gonna do it, but that's yeah. that's kind of the story of Cronenberg, really, isn't it? It's like that's like advanced level uh, jacking it material. Oh yeah, masturbating well. to the mastication chair. Come on. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it seems like the, the earlier Crimes of the Future is almost explicitly about that sort of, like, oh, yeah, fetishism. Yeah. Full-on full foot fetish to pedophile pipeline, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> how many movies go there? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that's... Jesus. I, I, I think I like, I like 2022 Crimes of the Future's view of the future a little bit better, because while, I don't know, maybe it's arguably a little, little darker and a little bleaker at the same time, it's not, you know, aligning yourself with a pedophile gang to adopt a like a five year old or something. Yeah, is it darker, bleaker? It seems like in the nineteen seventy one that most women seem to be dead, and it's just like everyone on Earth has some sort of sexually transmitted disease and yeah. is oozing foams and various things. Yeah, fundamentally, it seems, yeah. it seems like yeah, like nineteen seventy crimes of the future. The crimes, I guess, seem to be that. 
cosmetics of some I'm, I'm sure some kind of disease has killed all the women i guess i guess maybe the men are have the the skin institute a dermatological institute but they seem to just be testing like cosmetics. It's the house of skin sorry, the house of skin <laughs> sorry um there's there's numbers there's like the fucking the what the oceanic uh, podiatry group <laughs> like, it's like, God, I do not understand some of this um, oh and the neo-venereal disease institute which is very much a link between the 1970s one and the, the 2022 crimes of the future very very solid overlap there but um, yeah the, the, the 1970 crimes of the future storyline seems to involve all the women have died due to some kind of venereal disease mutation and men are basically trying to figure out how to live in a world where there are suddenly no women, no sexually mature women. There are still children, there are still girls, and you can probably guess where that's going to go eventually as they try and basically kidnap a child and chemically induce puberty in her, and it turns out that just makes her maybe have the same, develop the same disease that killed all the other women, and she's just going to die anyway, and it won't work, and humanity is completely dead. And that's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's a, a student movie David Grunberg made with just a couple it's... of guys running around his college. I'm guessing. Uh, really, yeah, it's just it's wild shit. Like it, like the movie. I was saying to Steve before we started that, it, it, like having just seen La Jetée, uh for film history, like that feels like a major touchstone of this film. Mm. And yeah, it, it in many ways it almost feels like this is some sort of novel that Cronenberg must have written. And it, it's just like so densely detailed and it, but the whole thing is just VO. It's just that uh, incredibly bizarre approach to making a film. And it, I suppose it kind of fits as an introduction to like the, if you were asked what director made this student film, I don't think it would take you many guesses. No, hundred percent. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's funny. Um, just looking over this, I, I, it's a quote I've encountered before, and I think it's it's absolutely on the money. Is Kim Newman, the critic, who commented on the 1970 Crimes of Future, saying it is proof that a film can be both interesting and boring at the same time, and that that really is the film. It is a really interesting. Uh, kind of agenda of interesting topics about you know he there's so many ideas bounced around including in uh, the uh, they have a character in the what the the neo venereal disease institute who is spontaneously generating new organs which are being removed and he keeps trying to sneak into the closet to steal back his organs in their jars so he can look at them uh, you know this is obviously a direct through line to uh, to mm-hmm. crimes of the future twenty twenty two. Uh, we also have very similar closing shots in the film, um, where our protagonist is what's his name, Adrian Tripod. We were discussing. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, he's the protagonist of 1970 Crimes of the Future. <laughs> there's this, and it's a really striking shot in the context where there's like a blue tear, kind of going down his cheek in the final in a final freeze frame as I think he realizes his fate that he is uh, possible. It's kind of difficult. It's also like. Uh, kind of like uh, what would you say opaque in how, in terms of how things are put together or obtuse but I, I guess he's realised that he's probably caught the disease that had killed his uh, what is it uh, Rouge the doctor he's he's kind of formed a kinship with there you know there's strong homoerotic elements throughout the entirety of it because all the women are gone I think the men are trying to make do as best they can and they're painting their nails and, and fondling each other's feet in very weird displays 
which on frankly looking at half the outdoor footage of crimes of the future 1970 i really wonder what would happen to anyone who was just walking around the campus that weekend and just saw two dudes just like playing with each other's feet on a grassy lawn for a while and sticking it up against each other's heads and things but you know whatever it's it's canada in the 1970s it's just off the hook it's crazy but obviously that that final shot of the guy with a tear rolling down his cheek is echoed immediately in uh, 2022 Crimes of the Future. That's how we close out with Viggo Mortensen, this really striking, unusual for Cronenberg f- shot, like a black and white still frame shot of him. Also a single tear coming out of out of his eye, just rolling down his cheek and and kind of like asking more questions maybe than answering anything. We're not exactly sure if this is the moment of like of realization of of you know, a failure or of rebirth or of a breakthrough. It's not exactly certain. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess maybe your <laughs> levels of optimism will influence how you read any of these films, really. I mean, I just thought he was really into Passion of Joan of Arc. So he was just like, let's let's use this one again. It was a winner the first time. C- and certainly the, and the, second, the first time I used it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cer- certainly, I think, an overlap there. But um, I suppose really like getting into the, the meat of Crimes of the Future 2022, um, he could have just called it something else. He could have called it like Plastic Man or something. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> and also, if you if this is true that the script is twenty years old, when the hell like did he just write like two scripts at the same time? Like he wrote Existence and this, and titled both of them Cramps of the Future. It's true. <laughs> he wrote them like three years apart. And was like I just make continuous films called Cramps. He was like at some like point a placeholder. Yeah, at some point a major film company is going to make me let me make a movie called Crimes of the Future and he stuck with his guns and it worked out and he's got I mean and it fits it's just if he hadn't tried to use it once before and successfully use it in the student days you know but you know what I mean fair enough some bands like Peter Gabriel named four albums Peter Gabriel so like let's just yeah. let's you know give him a little bit of it's like a, a Weezer thing <laughs> each one is color coded in a different way <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it, it works out. But but uh Crimes of the Future 22 is it's a really interesting film. Like I think it's a really it's and I, I don't know, I've not warmed as much to like that latter era of Cronenberg. I need to go back and watch stuff like A Dangerous Method. I've actually never watched Maps to the Stars. I've just never not got around to it for some reason. The other one that I, no one I know has gotten around to. That <laughs> I have seen and and that's an interesting one too. But yeah, I would say this is not like this is not my go-to era of Cronenberg, but um Crimes of the Future felt very fresh, very inviting despite its, you know, kind of um tremendously dark subject matter. It really feels like very like it feels like classic Cronenberg, really kind of like it, it kind of links both back in together like various stages of his career and and I hope it's not his final film but if it were his final film I think it would be a pretty solid swan song I think it would be you know a pretty good summation of his body of work but it's it's fascinating because I mean as I mentioned it feels totally contemporary there's certainly in Christ in the like the week where the US finally you know, the the conservative wing managed to like you know roll back abortion rights uh, and we have trans panic just way like washing across the US and the UK currently uh, the two the two bastions of most of the horse shit politics I have to see online and they are absolutely both stocked full of psychos just going off on trans people because they've just got nothing else to do I guess but like this film fully engages with those elements I mean there there's a very clear I think trans reading to this film and an abortion reading too, in terms of bodily autonomy, a theme throughout the film is the government, 
forcing registration of new organs and also just spying there's you know kind of keeping an eye on everyone and kind of you know monitoring what people are doing physically uh which uh, yeah i mean i guess there's it's always going to be a, a certain level of fresh but boy it really feels like a fucking raw wound right now it feels like mm -hmm. really on there and then there's also I, I, you know, I mean, you could also look at it as a, a film about an artist and what it is to be an artist and what it means to make yourself vulnerable and get in that space and what that means. And it ends with a man tearfully eating a bar of fucking processed plastic. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know whether that's, and again, I don't know, is that like giving in and realizing it's all a sham or is that a breakthrough and truly accepting his role as like, this is where he's got to. I don't know, you know, I, I, it's, it's a really, like, and, and this isn't because the film is, like, unclear or anything, but, like, it's really, it's one of those great movies that just, it's loaded with questions and interesting details. It's, you know, it's a mm -hmm. movie I'm going to watch numerous times over the years, and probably things are going to change depending on when I watch it, and that's a hell of a lot better than, you know, most of what goes into the cinemas nowadays, which is, like, absolutely of the now, and it's already advertising another movie, like, while you're watching it. It's, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. This is how movies were meant to be. It felt like a real throwback to sit down in a movie theater and watch a movie that was, like, for grown-ups and had questions. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's funny that, you know, a couple months ago, uh, there was that article that was circulating around, and there's, like, typical online discourse where people are like, uh, deep water came out on Hulu or whatever, and people were like, "Oh, uh, sex is back in movies." It's like, no, sex is surgery. David Cronenberg is—he's <laughs> this guy. He's beyond that. Sex isn't back in movies. There's just new sex now. Uh, but yeah, to your point, there's shit. There's there's just so much to unpack here, and it, it's really interesting just to look at it from the perspective of, you know who who has who has real ownership over their body and and like what what determination do you have over what you do with it and so you've got this artist Viggo Mortensen who's basically trying to wrestle with the fact that he just spontaneously grows weird new organs that don't necessarily do anything and then he controls it by kind of wrangling it and then surgically removing it as performance art uh but then as as kind of a foil to that you've got the the kid that we mentioned, the one who eats a plastic garbage can and then is uncere unceremoniously murdered by his mother in the next scene. Uh, basically, that kid doesn't he doesn't get to decide what he gets to do with his body or or you know how he lives his life. And then we're just kind of given this kind of cold autopsy of of this child uh, and his body is and his body is completely. Uh desecrated because they mess mm -hmm. with his organs beforehand uh in in a key scene which we won't go into in more details but like it's it's really great like Cronenberg is really dealing in heavy stuff here I mean yeah this movie literally pretty much opens with a child being murdered and then from there it's discussion of chopping up the child's body for art slash self-knowledge you know these these are details that a lot of very serious filmmakers wouldn't be able to navigate into comfortably and and Cronenberg no. is just very at ease in there he's able to kind of balance and also like this movie is oddly very funny Kristen Stewart in this movie is goddamn hilarious um, oh she's like, great 
there's these things that you know like it, it really it works really really well um and it but it's it is kind of navigating a really peculiar tightrope a very specific cronenberg tightrope of like child murder and certain like self-mutilation and uh mm -hmm. let's say you know a child's body and and their autonomy and the the autopsy to determine you know that the spectacle and so on but also as political it, it turns into something that has to be controlled and intervened in yeah it, it, there's just an immense amount of kind of like difficult material here that cronenberg opens with with zero hesitation and i think like you say that late career element like there's just there's really no concern from cronenberg here about pissing people off or being censored or you know you know being too difficult he just doesn't care like this is just that's what's happening in his film that's what he wants to mm -hmm. talk about and if you bought a ticket you better be ready to hang out with david cronenberg and his thoughts for a while oh yeah and and there's so much of of like him and his career in this too like uh when the film opens there's this really early scene about 10 minutes in when we're first introduced to Vigo Mortensen's artist character and he's having a discussion with the the woman who like helps him his performance partner and he basically she's like oh well I you know I'm so glad that you you know you've got this thing developing and he's like, yeah, I was worried I was all dried up here. And, and, and thinking about where he's at now and, and where he was at even 20 years ago, whenever the hell he wrote this script, like uh, that seems like it was a very legitimate thing for him to wrestle with. And yeah. then the other part that I like, and another example of kind of the subtle humor that's going on, but uh, there's this whole idea throughout the movie that uh, people's evolution and their, and their bodies and it, since the world is kind of beyond physical pain at this part point, uh, they're all sort of manipulating their bodies in weird fucked up ways as performance art. And there's this guy who grafts a bunch of ears all over his body. And it's it, <laughs> under any other circumstances would be a horrifying thing. But he's like he sews his eyes shut and his mouth shut and he grafts all these ears to his mostly nude body. And then he kind of like dances around and Vigo Mortensen is is not impressed, and and the whole thing is like, oh my, he's just like, he's yeah, basically he's a, a poser because the ears don't <laughs> even work. <laughs> he just he just like you know is sewing dead flesh to his body, and that's not real commitment. And it, it's it's just so funny. Like I don't know, thinking about that in terms of like what Cronenberg is doing with his art, and how most people when they think of the idea of body horror, it's just the gross out element. And for Cronenberg, it serves a much deeper, bigger purpose. <laughs> and even even here, like it, it is body horror, but it's not overly explicit or ooey gooey in, in any way. It's just kind of upsetting to look at. You know, keep talking about like the bone chair, which is literally just a chair that people in the future sit in because it's hard to swallow food. And it's just this bone throne that kind of like jostles you back and forth. And it's it's deeply upsetting to look at, but it's not like goopy gross. I, I don't know. It's, it's really it's a very Cronenbergian thing. It is very funny. I mean, I think this is a, very, a through line, particularly with Existence, which envisioned video gaming through these like biomechanical ports that we plug into and like everything's fleshy and soft and tactile. Um, 
and we didn't go that direction at all. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, of recent, I know I saw a while back that like some, I guess, Japanese scientists developed like a sweating robot or something like sweating skin. Uh, you know, like the, the, these things are being pursued in terms of, you know, uh, human verisimilitude and so on. But, you know, technology went a very different direction to what Cronenberg was envisioning in the late 90s. And even here in terms of how everything now is really the, the Apple minimalist white shiny box. Uh, everything is kind of like, you know, take away the, you know, very inhuman, very kind of like minimalist kind of simple cube designs. Whereas, yeah, I mean, Cronenberg is envisioning people sitting in the weird chair that's made of skin that like jostles you gently to help you help you digest your food and it's like it's there's no way you could advertise these things to people in today's climate like no one would want to buy the weird gross looking chair they would want the like the ikea nice you know clever design kind of thing you know he's 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 gone off on his own tangent here i mean i guess something within existence is weird because existence has the it's a very peculiar film. I, I must admit, like, I, it's a film that I, I haven't watched in the longest time, um, and it was always lodged in my memories, like, a weaker Cronenberg. I'm watching it again this week. I Yeah, I think it is one of his weaker films, personally. Um, and maybe part of that is because... And it's not even that it's necessarily about video games, but it feels very much like Cronenberg didn't play any video games and didn't have an enormous amount of interest in them when he made this movie. It, it feels very simple on that level although arguably to look at the film i think it's a more interesting reading he kind of predicted online behavior a lot which is interesting and it's it's, it's kind of an interesting thing within because because existence is very much about uh morality it's very much about when when do moral actions kick in when we are in uncertain territory because you know it's a game within a game within a game and people are like we don't know and at some point like someone shoots someone it's like it's fine it's a game and everyone's like, but why is it okay to do that within a game? And also, maybe it isn't actually a game. Yeah, you know. And it, this, I think, feeds into our, our internet, the current internet, where we're all online telling politicians to go fuck themselves. And you couldn't do that a couple of years ago. Uh, and now you can. And sometimes if you say something like the Department of Homeland Security, I'll send you a letter telling you that they saw your tweet and they're mad at you. Uh, and that's, you know... There's a whole new realm of what, you know, of cause and effect on online behavior and questions of what what is the reality when you're sitting at your house with your just looking at your phone and you've got like Love Island on the TV in the background and you're just telling like the uh, senator from Massachusetts to like he should fucking kill himself. Like it's it's mm -hmm. a new, brave new world. Uh, and I think. Cronenberg kind of, maybe inadvertently with existence, kind of like predicted this kind of breakdown of human structures. Things were changing. Things are always changing in Cronenberg's movie. He's very interested in watching the pieces break apart and kind of curious how they'll come back together. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's an interesting one with an existence. I don't know if anyone else has any particular other insights to me. It, it's just, it's mostly for me works as like a really weird 90s time capsule. Uh, yeah, it's a to me. It's one of the few times where his movie feels like it it had studio notes. Like it, it sure. feels a little less his own. Like it's almost like someone was like, "Hey, David, can you can you try and make Videodrome again?" Right. Uh, the kids love Videodrome video games for gamers. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it also has that element where it it does feel very sort of like 
90s twist thriller uh which is it just feels very not cronenberg like it, <laughs> yeah. it feels like it's kind of chasing a moment that that is not anything i would ever say about virtually any of his films outside of maybe existence and it is still a very fascinating film and very visually interesting there's a lot of fantastic performances it's it's quite a good like 90s tech thriller if yeah. you will but it's just not in his catalog it, it feels kind of less his own but um yeah it's, it's a film that i i like but don't love and and probably that will never change it's not one i'm i'm gonna frequently revisit but it is i as to what you're saying like as far as like predictive elements in in cronenberg i i feel like he is so disinterested in predicting what the future is going to be. But what he's, he's interested in and what it can feel predictive about his films is that his technology is never rooted in realism. It's, it's always this sort of manifestation of what he believes our relationship with that technology would look like made manifest. You know, it's, it's not... It's not anything real. There's nothing tangible. There's nothing sure. sterile. It's just this messy fucking morphology. This representation of what our relationship to a video game world might be. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's not to say that Cronenberg believes that we're going to jack uh, flesh tubes into our flesh sockets and, uh, you know, but it's it's more about how that sort of artificial world is in many ways supplants the biological and and becomes as real as anything else and what that might mean and yeah. that is obviously perfectly explored in this new film which i just think it's a lot more vital subject than riffing on video games and our relationship with video games like this in addition to everything you guys have said i, I think this film has a great deal to do with sort of our relationship with the internet as well and this sort of idea that everyone wants to be a performance artist in this in this grand future feels <laughs> very resonant with sure with social media it is, yeah it is really a weird element of crimes of the future 22 is that like performance art is now apparently the thing people do everyone shows up for it everyone's invested in it <laughs> yeah and that that can really consists of what is performance art in this world is peeling yourself open for other people to see. And then that just, it feels really similar to, you know, obviously it's a, a physical manifestation of do you, do you sort think, of a phenomenon of like laying yourself bare in front of your do, audience do, do when you you're think, an influencer. Do you think <laughs> David Cronenberg like did YouTube research and was looking at like all those videos of parents abusing their kids to get likes and stuff? I could just admit, I feel like David yeah. Cronenberg spends no time on the internet. Like I just, I, I get that feeling he like, or if he spends time on the internet, it's like doing academic research and studying things. Like I feel like he's not a dude who like logs into YouTube or something to just like, I don't know. For funny, funny fail videos. I don't <laughs> I know. Think, I think I'm that wrong. the only, the only bookmark on his bookmark bar is a link to that video where Logan Paul goes to the Japanese suicide forest wearing like a fucking minion hat or something. <laughs> I feel like David Cronenberg, like he just learns everything through osmosis. <laughs> There's no way yeah. he's actually fucking. I mean, yeah, I think at this point his keys kids are probably like Brandon Cronenberg probably just like relays stuff that he he's seen online, and and he's like, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds really weird. Yeah. yeah then his 
bizarre brain processes it for 20 years and spits out this <laughs> i mean it is it is telling and i mean it's kind of a point of all of cronenberg's films i think it's and i think it's something that people some people who don't like cronenberg i think have difficulty getting over that kind of like hill or whatever is is that cronenberg is very interested in the idea that like he sees technology and our relationship with it as like you know it, it's always uh evolving and changing um but like commercial tech in the real world is always about helping and it's always about like it's going to make your life better it's going to allow you to do this x and y more efficiently and better and easier and your whole life will get better thanks to all of this stuff and cronenberg's kind of looking at more the idea that when things get a little better humans get a little bit more distracted or they have a little bit more leeway to pick away at something else like like this seems to be like the 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 key thing cronenberg kind of like zones in on is that you know as technology makes our lives easier quote unquote uh it just really frees us up to start doing other strange things to kind of like undo ourselves and pick in and look at our like our workings you know like i mean crimes of the future 22 is kind of like a world where infections and pain have just disappeared and there's no explanation of why just humans no longer get infections and they cannot feel pain that's just someone says that and that's just something you gotta accept and so the first thing humans start doing is just like oh i can just cut myself open now i can just do surgery anywhere because there's literally no problem with that now. It doesn't hurt, and I can't get infected, so I can just, like, I can just vivisect myself. And if I want to invite friends around to have a look at it, cool. You know, And it, but it's very much a vision of a human uh, death pull impulse or destruction impulse that I think Cronenberg very heavily believes in, very heavily sees, uh, but I think a lot of other people don't. Probably because they are more interested in the kind of commercial technology view of things, which is like, if there's a problem, technology can solve it and it'll be fine, which is, I think, you know, I, I think it actually obviously works the, the opposite way. You know, as things get better, oh we, my God. we do new things instead to, to make things worse. Yeah, yeah. And I, I again, to reflect it back on sort of online culture, like, what is this? idea it, that we are becoming distanced from biological impulse you know this sort of thing that it, it serves a, a direct function a, a benefit to our bodies the this pain impulse this sort right. of infection like it, it's telling us when something is wrong and in in a similar way that i suppose online interactions and, and relationships and well it, it is, there's a distance, it, there's a separation from physical contact, from the things that might govern our behavior because we're directly interacting with the person next to us. And, and that, that shifts fundamentally when you're not. And that is why you sit around telling your, your senator to fucking kill himself. <laughs> it's not like you're going to walk over to his house and shake his hand and tell him to kill himself. I mean, I... <laughs> Maybe in a Cronenberg I, movie. I, I, okay, so I've, I've never told a senator to kill himself, but one time I was at the airport and Ted Cruz was on my plane and uh -huh. I asked him if I could take a selfie with him and I held up the phone. And he said, so can I count on your vote? And I said, uh, no, I don't live in your state. Also, I think you're a piece of shit. And then I snapped the photo. So the picture <laughs> is just like me smiling and him looking confused. Now I would tell him to kill himself, but then I get arrested. But 
like the the sentiment is there that I think the world is better if Ted Cruz was like eaten by sewer rats. So yes, but would you have that sentiment were it not for the presence of the internet in your life? That's that's a valid question. That's worth exploring. That's true. What I guess, yeah, that's that's true. Well, because I guess with the knowledge of the internet, I get to know like the inner workings of how fucking weird and awful he is. Whereas exactly yeah, like 30 like years ago, you would have no, no fucking idea who Ted Cruz is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, unless you live in Texas. You know what I mean? This really swings back around to another Cronenberg joint, uh, the Ted Zone, in which Christopher Walken straight up has to murder a politician to make the world a better place. So God, maybe, maybe all in all, David Cronenberg is actually uh, oh, just quietly pushing I, us towards I, insurrection. I, I wish uh, this is horrible. So when we did Cronenberg years ago, years ago. And, and mm-hmm. we talked about the dead zone I had on the old soundboard in like 2015 or whatever the fuck we did the Cronenberg cast. I had the clip from the dead zone where Christopher Walken says the ice is going to break. <laughs> and had I known we would have swerved in this direction, I would have had it queued up again. I, I really have let you down. The ice is going to break. It all comes all comes back to the dead zone. <laughs> uh, we're living in the dead zone, baby. <laughs> yeah yeah maybe so i mean uh, god it's it's one of this mood like i say i i think uh, crimes of futures is really you know i mean i was joking earlier we we watched rrr and it's it fucking knocked my socks off at the best time in the cinema i was like man nothing else i see this year i'm gonna like as much as rrr it's just so goddamn so much fun it's just pure cinema magic and I, I agree with myself on this still. Like, I can't replace that experience. But frankly, I'm pretty sure over the next decade, I will probably watch Crimes of the Future more times than RRR. It's, it's one of those films that, like, just slowly, there's just so much material in here. There's so much kind of, like, interesting detailing uh, throughout that and, and fantastic performances. And I mean, this is still, it's like, it's goddamn wild to me. You're talking about like divisions of society and stuff. Like, there's still people I talk to, like at work, and just like regular, normal people, quote unquote, who, who still believe Kirsten Stewart is like a bad actress who was in the Twilight <laughs> movies. And it's just like you watch her in Crimes of the Future and she's like, she is unequivocally one of the most interesting people in American film and has been for like. 15 years now um and she's here to give this really weird performance like it's a really strange thing it's like almost a caricature of a Kristen stewart character like it's all these nervous ticks and twitches and stuff and she's fantastic she's doing this really like it's it's just a really funny strange kind of send-up and a, a really interesting kind of like uh, development off of like her her role in Spencer, which I think honestly I didn't like Spencer Spencer the film, but I thought she was pretty great in it, uh, and she was doing something quite different to what she normally does. I think uh, you know it felt like a very distinct, you know, like I hate to say it was like you know oh it looked like it was the you know give me an Oscar role, but you know I think they're they're it's inescapable at a certain point when you're an actor and you're undertaking a pretty kind of specific kind of central role like that you're probably at some point it's going to occur to you like oh, i hope people who hand out awards like this because that would be good for me generally um but it's it's great to swing from like spencer to this this is such a like um guy you know this is like almost like frankly like jeffrey combs and reanimator like that kind of like twitchy manic energy but like in in a classier joint 
um it's it's pretty great and i think everyone here is doing great work v mortensen is fantastic yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. When you said The Division, I thought you were going to say The Division and Vigo Morton's oh. performances, because it's like oh, yeah. fucking oh, it's getting an Oscar for fucking pizza, pasta, ravioli, and now he's in this, and he's just goddamn incredible. Yeah. I, it's just like such a bizarre choice, where where it's like, all right, you, you're the erstwhile protagonist. You're sort of the audience POV. This man is tr desperately trying to preserve his own humanity. And he's just walking around in this goddamn death shroud the whole time. <laughs> he, he just looks like a corpse and he sounds like a corpse and he's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. Vigo is unbelievable in this. And I, also just like to your point too, Kristen Stewart, just amazing performance that will not get recognized by any award show ever. But uh, I think it's fucking wild that the Twilight series for my money spawned the two best actors and actor and actress in American it, cinema today. It's a, it's a like, testament to just, <laughs> Yeah, it's a testament to handing talented people enormous amounts of money up front and then they don't have to work again. Like they don't have to do anything for anyone again so they can follow their own instincts, which is absolutely what Pattinson and Stewart have done. And frankly, honestly, it's kind of what uh his name is the guy who played Harry Potter, uh, Daniel Radcliffe. That's what he's done as well, for better or worse. I think he's he's not quite batting on the same level, but he's definitely just doing whatever he wants to do. Elijah Wood too. He just became like a, the horror guy. You know, he just got a shit ton of money from the Lord of the Rings movies, and he's just like, I'm just gonna do what I want now. You know, and it kind of it makes you wish directors could get a little bit of that. You know, like the directors mm -hmm. are always working like they're. It's good as their last project or whatever but you know it's hard to get like that big payout early in your career so you know i guess unless you're you're kevin smith somehow the one the <laughs> one that worked out maybe this is a bad idea maybe this shouldn't yeah, happen I was for saying, directors we're still action. paying for that one so, i guess yeah, you got okay. served a fucking instagram know, michael, ad for the michael new man can't movie. Get a, <laughs> michael man can't get a movie made but we have to watch fucking clerks three yeah it's coming oh my god put is a it bullet coming? in my head <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to see what happened to 67-year-old Dante standing behind the counter at the old Quick Mart. Uh, fuck. Is there any movie we need more? Sure, probably. <laughs> In these trying times. I bet all the jokes are going to be like, Ah, oh, I can't get anybody to work behind the counter! And then someone will come and be like, Yeah, because you won't fucking pay him 15 an hour. Ah, oh, damn, COVID! Blah, blah. That's going to be the whole movie. There's, that's the whole setup for the first scene. <laughs> and then, of course, the supermodel will walk into their fast food joint and go, I really want to suck your dick. Like, yeah. What is happening and why is this exist this and why is, is this yeah. man in prison? <laughs> Kevin Kevin Smith fucking he lives in a fantasy world where one he's funny and two beautiful women want to blow him and he's just that's not going to happen. Like you, it's not not going to happen, man. I feel like I, yeah, but at the same time I think we swing this back if anyone could adapt to uh, Kevin Smith's infamous uh pawning her taint tweet or whatever the hell oh, yeah. uh, David Cronenberg could that would be that would be uh, the marriage in heaven to yeah. see that tweet take life through the hands of the master of body horror, David. David yeah, horror. this is be uh, this movie. It, it teeters a line between like uh, bizarre fiction and horror. Uh, I suppose if he were to adapt such a thing, he would be a, a full return to the genre of his roots. Oh. Be getting a true horror movie from Cronenberg once again. Yeah, first person POV shot of. 
fucking Kevin Smith's little chode with his tummy hanging over, just smacking into a fucking brown zone. I would love that. Cronenberg, make it happen. <laughs> How do we get here? Is this my fault? Did I do this? <laughs> this is uh, this is all Jesus. your fault. Yeah, we were just we were also, getting, getting new support I mean, for the podcast earlier this week. What have I done? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me a little bit of Kevin Smith rope, but I fucking hung you with it. So. <laughs> If if I have if I have uh, any excuse to talk about the poning her brown and taint all time greatest tweet, it's I mean I'm gonna do Truly, it. Truly, so. if Twitter was designed for anything, it was designed specifically for that tweet. Like that's yeah, and that's to Kevin Smith's testament. Frankly, he's a genius. No, there's <laughs> honestly the Twitter only needs two tweets. It needs the the Kevin Smith poning her brown and taint, and then it needs the one where Trump is talking about. He's like. Oh, the Coca-Cola Corporation, a bunch of horrible liberals, but I'll still drink that shit. Like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I, I, I submit we, we still also need the Hulk Hogan uh, working yourself into a shoot, brother. That needs oh, to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and then he signs at HH. That's a good one. Those are the three pillars of tweeting. Everything else can fuck off. No one has ever done anything that comes even close. So, yeah, we'll it's keep true. those. True. All right, boys. Well, let's uh, <laughs> before I talk about <laughs> Good place to wrap Smith up. fucking more. Yeah, I guess we should wrap things up. So, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I'm still not watching much. Um, you know, I'm going to put over kind of like a, uh, in between. Has anyone put over Mad God yet? I don't remember if anyone has. But yeah. I was lucky enough to see it on a big screen, which I know is it, it did not get a big cinema rollout, which is a shame because... I'm not 100% sold in this movie, and this is obviously this is Phil Tippett's directing, uh, Phil Tippett being obviously a special effects stop-motion genius who worked on, like, the Ed 209 for Robocop. He studied under Harryhausen. Like, the man is just, he's amazing. He's done incredible work everywhere. And for, like, 20 years, he's been working on this movie. And uh, it shows. It's, it's kind of like, uh, it gets a little bit monotonous at points because it's basically just series of awful disgusting things happening over and over again it's like a Sodom and Gomorrah kind of a thing it's like a fallen world but the visuals and the puppetry and the stuff it's just insane like people are going to be looking at this movie decades from now this is going to be one of those movies that people are going to be pulling out and looking at it and just going like can you believe that anyone created this uh, it is well worth taking a look at, even if I'm not, like I say, 100% sold on the material for feature length. Um, the texture and the detail and the shadowing and, and just the puppets, uh, the like design and everything is absolutely gobsmacking. It is an insane work of just one of the best in the business doing it. It's one of those things like stands up and reminds you like the, the best of Jan Svankmeyer or the Quay brothers. Like this is up there with them in terms of absolute technical bravura it's just absolutely incredible looking stuff so yeah absolutely mm -hmm. watch it uh it's just you might just be a little bit grossed out don't bring a date unless you're mm. looking to end that quickly or you really just want to put it to the test it's gross it's full of weird shit all the, all over the place but uh yeah it looks cool as hell it's on shutter i think you know uh, most places, like I say, it did not get a big theater rollout, but it's on Shudder. They bought all the rights, I think, internationally. So almost certainly you can stream it there. Wonderful. It sounds like my experience with every Ralph Bakshi movie. Like, like <laughs> oh, this is cool, but gross, and I don't really know how to process it, and maybe I don't want to watch it for two hours, but I, it's it's cool. 
<laughs> hey, I, I that is also something we are kicking around potentially covering while Jack is uh, off in Ireland. Oh, oh there we go. go. Fuck around with some Fritz the Cat. <laughs> well, you can just you can just edit whatever I just said in, and if you need to pad that episode at all, there you go. There you Hell go. Oh yeah, we can watch we can watch Coonskin and and Heavy Traffic and what's what's the what's the one where it's like it's like fucking Greece but with more slurs and stabbing. Uh, fuck. Wait, this is Bakshi, right? You're not. I know. Yeah, I think yeah. we were talking about covering Mad God, not oh, Ralph. Mad God, not Bakshi. <laughs> I thought we were talking about Bakshi. We're watching Cool World. Fuck you guys. Like, yeah. like, I don't remember Phil Tippett doing the slur movie. That's <laughs> no, I don't like think he's done. Phil Phil Tippett's cool. Bakshi was just he, he was doing different shit, and it was the '70s. It was a different time. Uh, different time indeed <laughs> okay so we're not doing cool world is that what you said or are we doing cool world i now? think there was also a cool world pitch on the docket sometime too so that, that's also a possibility we hate ourselves we, don't know. we can do all of these we things have mad god and cool world these are not the same episode mind you they're two separate <laughs> subjects <laughs> okay that works for me um shit i don't know how we got here myros uh what are you putting over this week I mean, I spent really the last couple weeks playing Ghost of Tsushima. That's fun, but who gives a shit? But in the spirit of uh, of Cronenberg and his his seemingly deep seated belief that, uh, despite of progress, increase in in technology and resources and and funding, uh, the the inherent flaws and perversions of humanity are going to to really not be supplanted, but rather fostered and encouraged by the, this sort of evolution of technology and funding and, and for that reason i'm going to put over uh, stranger things four which is really what? just the embodiment <laughs> the embodiment of, of what could fucking go wrong in the mind of man when he's given unlimited resources and technology and funding because holy shit it's the worst thing I've seen in some time, and it, it's almost worth watching because uh, seeing is, is how, how long does it take you to watch this Oh, God, it feels like a month. <laughs> nice. That, I will say the last episode, which, uh, well, what are we even doing here? God in heaven. Um, it's, it's 141 minutes long, I believe. <laughs> what? <laughs> I knew it was long. I didn't realize if they were going into, like, fucking Scorsese feature length. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. and it's really, I don't know. It's about, like, Swamp Thing. Is also Freddy. What if Swamp Thing was Freddy Krueger and invaded your dreams? I don't. It's dog shit. Uh, it, so really, I'm recommending that uh, you only watch it if you if you're like one of those perverts from Cronenberg's Crash and want to see something awful. Well, I shit. It, it's it's too bad you you say it's awful because if you sold it to me as what if Swamp Thing was also Freddy Krueger? I mean, at that <laughs> point, I'm kind of sold, but. <laughs> shit well it might be 140 for you. fucking minutes <laughs> that's just one episode how many episodes are there's like 10 or something isn't there yeah something like that <laughs> what is, this is like the 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 duffer brothers out one what the fuck i'm <laughs> telling you it's it's just like i've never seen a, a show so thoroughly up its own ass and and like infused with like hubris like and we we had like for my screenwriting class, one of the things we looked at was the like initial show bible for Stranger Things. It was called Mon Talk, I believe, at that stage, and specifically laid out in the thing was this is a limited, uh, this is a limited series, one season only. Were we to continue with the concept, it would be a anthology format with different characters in different time periods. 
And instead, now we're making like fucking 45 hours of, of a single season of this same bullshit. Where every I mean, character, money's a weird thing, man. Yeah, I every s- character was meant to be replaced is now like 19 and awkwardly playing like a 13 year old and have like lost any childhood charm and just can't act. <laughs> I'm now, I'm now imagining the last shot of Crimes of the Future with Viggo Mortensen just chewing on plastic with a tear rolling down his eye because he's watching Stranger Things season four. <laughs> yeah, like fucking Phil, what's his name? Uh, Finn Wolfhard. He's got like a mullet and he's 26 now. And yeah. <laughs> That guy, he, he's old as fuck. He's, he was on, uh, oh shit, what podcast was he on? Uh, he was on Yeah, But Still. And I was like, and he was talking about like being in a bar and drinking. I'm like, aren't you 12? No, all these guys are like in their fucking mid 20s and they're all gangly as shit and they're supposed to be eight years old or whatever. It's, it, none of this <laughs> makes any sense. It's horrifying, man. I got to tell you, it's almost worth watching. If it weren't so goddamn long, I would say it'd almost be worth watching to be like, what the fuck is happening in the world? Do a fucking time jump or something. You don't need, they don't need to be babies still. Like, God, for a series that that seems to have a lot of, like, reverence and worship for for Spielberg and and the Goonies and shit like that. You know what, you know what they did in the 80s? It's called a tight 90. Fucking look into it, man. Just so, yeah, do a like, time jump. What are you going to celebrate? Like fucking hook era Steven Spielberg or something? It's just, no, it's just I, not I, the I same, would, Steve. I, I think they should time jump so far into the future that all these characters are dead and the world is just a barren wasteland. That would be better well, for me. Well, that's, you know, time jump to 2023 or whatever. Yeah. That's that's what the world's going to be. <laughs> that's There you go. Well, I, the problem is, though, you can't sell Funko Pops that way. So what do I know? That, it's true. Well, shit, I'm going to put over, we're, we're real classy fucking guys now, because we, we cover real art house shit on this show, because that's, that's what Optimism Vaccine is all about. Uh, the highest of the high brow. So I'm, I, uh, I watched some real classic cinema the other night, a movie I haven't watched in a long time. It's also, let me remind you, uh, like 65 minutes long, and that is Steamboat Bill Jr. Huh? When was the last time you watched a little silent film? It's, it's pretty good. I think it's... Uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those movies where it, it takes a little while for the gears to get turning, but uh, one of the absolute best finales in the history of cinema. Like the last 10 minutes, uh, 10, 15 minutes are just absolutely incredible. Uh, so yeah, if you're if you're a Buster Keaton person or you want to be a Buster Keaton person, when was the last time you watched Steamboat Bill Jr.? It's probably been a while. Go back to 1928, a time where you didn't have to talk to me about plot and bullshit for God knows how long and, and do all this, you know, shitty exposition that doesn't help. No, no, no. People are talking about shit. Maybe you get some cards with a couple of sentences on it. That's, that's it. That's all you need. Otherwise it's, it's hilarious pratfalls. We love it. It's great. Uh, my only complaint is the version that I borrowed from the internet, uh, has the worst score for the film that I have ever heard. And did I think you get an actual, ones. Did you get an actual public domain copy? I, I don't, I don't know. It looked good, so oh, okay. it, it was definitely HD, but whatever the soundtrack was that, that came with it was, I mean, it was, it was a lot of typical orchestral stuff, although I like, I prefer like just an old-timey piano, personally, but uh, the, most of the orchestral stuff was fine until the, the jailhouse scene where he brings the loaf of bread with like the tools inside of it to break out his dad. And then all of a sudden, this fucking, like, butt rock guitar comes in. Like, it was straight up, you're at the beer tent at the county fair, and there's a dad in in fucking Oakley sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt, and he's just riffing. Just riffing, man. 
that that kind of killed it for me. But aside from that, it's a great movie. So maybe mute it. It's a silent film. Fuck it. You don't need to hear anything. Just so just speaking of scores, scene. how fucking good is Howard Shore's score in Crimes of the Future? It's fucking incredible. Oh, yeah, it is, is. it's really good. It's really good. It's, there's not enough good things you could say about that movie. Man, oh, here. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. It's a great movie. Will it ever get like a standalone physical release? Like, could I potentially buy Crimes of the Future soundtrack on vinyl? I would love that. I would fucking play that shit in my house while I clean my kitchen or something. No. Or while I perform surgery. Uh, it probably won't. But I was at Barnes and Noble today. And for some reason, there's a, a vinyl release of the Hillbilly Elegy soundtrack. <laughs> Like I just, it just like caught my eye. It's this garish fucking cover too. Cause it's, I, I don't know. It's like the, the fucking meth head mom or whatever in the movie. She's like standing next to a truck and it's got this giant Netflix logo. And then it's just like Ron Howard's hillbilly elegy official soundtrack. Who was buying this? Like, even if you like that movie, it's, it's like, what's the cross section of you like that movie? This is a hundred percent office white elephant goof present like that's the they oh, printed 200 of these for people to buy for their office christmas parties that's it no one wants a copy of that no, otherwise. no one wants it okay it's a movie that no one liked it's a movie that no one remembered and then also you have to be the kind of person who liked the movie specifically the soundtrack and you're the kind of person who buys soundtracks and you want it on fucking vinyl because like spotify hillbilly elegy is not good enough for you uh, which, you know what? I'm going to open up Spotify right now and I'm going to look up Hillbilly Elegy. I want to see how many plays this thing fucking has. Please hold for uh, dramatic effect. That, that's fair. I, I would just add in, yeah, Howard Short's score is amazing for Prince Future and also Dario Argento's latest, uh, Dark Glasses. Uh, I do not recall the guy who did the score. It's not Claudio Simonetti, but it is a fantastic as well. It's amazing. So, uh, oh my God, who are these people? Okay, so <laughs> it is a Hans Zimmer score, and I think that's probably the selling point. However, uh. look it up. If you're listening right now, stop what you're doing and, you know, pull up the old fucking browser on your phone. Look up the Hillbilly Elegy score soundtrack. It is this garish cover. But would you believe that? Every single song on this soundtrack has at least 100,000 listens. And track two, Rust, has 1,710,820 plays on Spotify. That's insane. Who are these people? Every single person that this is for is, is uh, they're, they're fucking psychos. I want to meet one well, person who owns this unironically. I mean, you'd have to be a psycho to watch the fucking movie. If, if you pull up a, a fucking thing on Netflix and it says Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy, there's, I, there's nothing that could make me like flee faster than those words in combination. Yeah, and I, I do like that this was like real like New York Times uh, liberal circle jerk stuff. And then it turned out that the Hillbilly Elegy guy just kind of did a little... Uh, a little bait and switch, and then he was just yeah, like, "No, he's a Trump man. I, I'm a piece of shit Trump guy now." So, I mean, to be fair, he was a always a swerve. huge piece of shit, but now he's a, yeah. now he's the the type of piece of shit that the New York Times hates. Yeah, you don't you don't get enough like cultural Benedict Arnold's now because you you know the culture war thing. You really got to draw those lines, and you're like, I'm either this kind of piece of shit or I'm this kind of piece of shit. And then how do you thread that needle? You know, how do you find that that middle ground in the Venn diagram, the Barry Weiss zone? And 
the, the hillbilly elegy man fucking did it. So good for him. Good for him. <laughs> so our putovers this week are Stranger Things four and the hillbilly elegy soundtrack. No, I I put I put over. <laughs> I put over classic cinema, man. I put over Buster fucking Keaton. I'm just saying that the Hillbilly Elegy soundtrack is out there. Just, you know. <laughs> it's a threat. It's in the wild. It's out it's there. You might encounter it. That's in Cronenberg's future, okay? There's no pain. There's no disease. There's just the Hillbilly Elegy soundtrack and scalpels digging into your flesh. And on that note, hey, if you enjoyed the podcast today, <laughs> uh, why don't you give us money? Some people already have. Plenty have. We, we have a, a brand new patron this week. Who's our new patron, Myros? Well, our new patron is uh, listed here as CWW, so that's what we'll, we'll credit them as. We also should shout out Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Uh, thank they you for your support. support at that uh, at that uh, that higher level. That's right. I mean, you could yeah. you could donate two bucks or whatever, but if you get to five, you get that shout out. Yeah, yeah and very important. We're truly people you want to be associated with. Like you know, it's it's definitely you, you're gonna you're gonna be able to say, yeah, my name was read out on this show, and it, it hasn't affected me in a negative way at all. Uh, and hey, if, if you donate even more money, if you're out there and you're like, damn, I really want them to do, uh, you know, Hillbilly Elegy for an episode. Uh, that's, that's an option. You just got to pay us like 25 bucks and we'll do it. We'll do anything you want. That's, that's how it works. Uh, so that, that is definitely an option. And, uh, what's the CZW or, uh, what's OMC? Uh, yeah, he's, he's going to get a movie in the mail from yours truly, because if you donate at any level as a patron, it doesn't matter if it's 25 bucks or two bucks or whatever. I will send you, assuming you live in the continental United States, I will send you from my personal collection a, uh, a movie. Could be a VHS tape, DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc. You don't know what you're getting. You're just going to fucking get something. So, got to clean these shelves off, man. Uh, so, yeah. You're going to be getting new patron. You're getting a, a movie in the mail. That's very exciting. It's almost like you're paying for... A, a free movie and then you get the benefit of us barking in your ear uh, and that's great because you also get you know uh exclusive patron content uh in the form of written stuff we've got we've got exclusive patron podcast probably do another one of those pretty soon so all kinds of reasons to sign up and you know if you just want to yell at us uh, if you know someone or if you own the hillbilly elegy soundtrack you can Tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine. Uh, you can you could talk to us about it by emailing us optimismvaccine at gmail.com. These are all options for you. So just putting that out there. And I think that about wraps things up. So uh, Jack, enjoy Ireland, and uh, we'll be back next week. Bye.